0: The following KOPN podcast is made possible by the generous donations from listeners like you. Please consider a donation to listener-supported community radio, KOPN. You can donate securely online at kopn.org. Thank you. Hi, welcome to Food Sleuth Radio, where we help you think beyond your plate. I'm Melinda Hamilgarn, a registered dietitian and investigative nutritionist on a mission to connect the dots between food, health, and agriculture, and find food truth. And today, I am delighted to welcome my guest, Dr. Michelle Gray. She serves as the head of the Department of Health, Human Performance and Recreation, and is a professor of exercise science at the University of Arkansas in Fayetteville. She also directs the Office for Studies on Aging, and we are going to be focusing today on aging and our muscles. The aim of Dr. Gray's research is to increase functional fitness and independence among older adults. She does this through community-based exercise programs that focus on improving muscular power and strength. Dr. Gray investigates changes that occur as a result of aging, specifically the relationship between cognitive and physical function. And her ultimate goal is to improve the quality of life of older adults to improve physical function and early detection of cognitive decline. Dr. Gray received an MS in exercise and movement science from Ball State University in Muncie, Indiana, and a PhD in exercise science from the University of Arkansas in Fayetteville. And she has been a member of the American College of Sports Medicine since 2002. Welcome, Dr. Gray.
1: Thank you so much, Melinda.
0: I appreciate the invitation. I'm happy to be here. Well, your research is so important. You know, if we're lucky, we will get old. And we will start to see the changes in our ability to function. And I only recently learned how critical muscle mass is for more than just strength. And I wanted to so much have you on to share your research. And I also saw an article in the July 2023 issue of Scientific American in which you were quoted about sarcopenia or the loss of muscle as we age. And I wanted you to help our listeners understand why muscle is so important to retain as we get older. But first, I'd love for you to tell me, what is it that first led you to study exercise science?
1: Oh my goodness. Now that's a loaded question I didn't anticipate. But well, like many young 18, 19 year olds, I wanted to do something that interested me. And I was a lifelong athlete, meaning I played elementary and and middle school and and high school softball and basketball. And really what interested me in exercise science wasn't exercise science at all. Initially, I I was a pre-physical therapy major. And as I got into some of those didactic classes that were focused around exercise, I decided that I didn't want to rehab individuals that I really wanted to prevent chronic disease. And I got my degree in exercise science at the University of Tennessee at Chattanooga and specifically in clinical exercise physiology, which means I learned how to And take individuals that that had cardiovascular disease or pulmonary disease and help them either slow the progression of that disease or even prevent that disease altogether through lifestyle modification and behavior modification. A big part of that is physical activity and exercise. We did talk a lot about nutrition and dietary interventions to slow the progression or to prevent chronic illness as well, but it really stemmed around physical activity and exercise.
0: Yeah. You know, it's so interesting. First, I should confess that I was always the last person chosen for exercise teams in high school, but I too wanted to move out of treating illness and move into preventing the illness in the first place. So we are on the same page. I also, however, even though I'm not a team sport kind of exerciser, I really do enjoy exercise and being active and it's really only been in recent years, I think, that the dietetics profession has become aware of just how important it is to maintain muscle mass. And I'll give you an example. I was just in a webinar for dietitians where I learned that muscle enhancement is so important to prevent the development of diabetes mm-hmm. and for insulin sensitivity and blood sugar control. And so being able to maintain muscle mass is critical, as you know, why is it or how is it that we lose muscle mass as we age?
1: Well, that is a very complex question. And some of it really stems with the mitochondria. And if our listeners out there know anything about mitochondria, they're all shouting, it's the powerhouse of the cell. Really, that's where our energy comes from when we're talking about energy for movement. But muscle mass is really, really important when we're talking about prevention of Chronic illness because muscle utilizes energy and and fuel, and I know, I know you're a dietitian, it utilizes both fat and carbohydrate to fuel itself depending on what type of movement that we're doing so it's It is really important that we maintain our muscle mass, but a little tangential to that it, it's really important not only to maintain our muscle mass or properly develop muscle mass in our twenties and thirties and then try to maintain that throughout the life for uh, chronic illness, but also your ability to move about in space. And and I call that functional fitness. And I think you you brought that up beforehand, that part of my studies have been around functional fitness and improving functional independence of older adults through muscle strengthening activities. And the more strength that we have, the better our abilities to perform activities of daily living. So, and that could be anything, anything you do, It Maybe it's a pickleball tournament that could be an activity of daily living, but also grocery shopping can be an activity of daily living or chopping your own wood could be an activity of daily living. And we really need to have uh, an appropriate amount of muscle mass in order to accomplish whatever tasks that we need to do. And the, the simplest task that we can do is really stand up and move about. Because if we can't stand up from a seated position, then we can't be independent, which means someone needs to be with us. We can't drive a car. We can't get out of the easy chair to go to the kitchen table. We can't get off and onto a toilet. So our our functional independence really goes down drastically if we can't maintain the usefulness of those muscles, the quality of the muscles. And, And what causes that quality to go down. Again, it could be mitochondrial dysfunction, but I really think as an exercise scientist, that it's disuse over time because we know that we are most active in adulthood in our twenties and in our thirties, we start to become less physically active or more sedentary. And that continues typically as society for throughout the rest of our lives. So maintaining a physically active lifestyle is really important when we're talking about trying to maintain that muscle mass over time. Now, it's not only physical activity. I know I'm making this as simplistic as possible, but we do need to incorporate appropriate nutrition as well. And for with older adults, we haven't talked a lot about protein supplementation. That's usually safe for football players or athletes, but protein is very, very important to maintain the quality and quantity of muscle mass for a long period of time as well.
0: And I think that we will start to see recommendations for protein intake increase for older adults. There has been a lot of discussion in dietitian circles, for example, looking at the U.S. dietary recommendations, and they seem to be a little on the low side for older adults. You had mentioned in a previous conversation that we had that The digestion of protein is critical and really having a certain amount per meal is recommended. Do you want to touch on that at all?
1: Sure. I'll try to go into it. I do want to disclose that I'm not a registered dietitian. So listeners out there take this as broad stroke recommendations, but not uh, specific requirements for any one individual. And with older adults, well, we all, myself included, were limited on the amount or the volume of whatever substance we're consuming that is able to be digested. So it could be vitamin E, or it could be vitamin C, or it could be you know, we, the list goes on and on, and the same is true for protein. We can only absorb so much protein that goes into protein synthesis, and, and protein synthesis—super fancy term for the ability for us to improve uh, muscle mass. So it's the the protein that helps us build muscle. And again, that's most simplistic terms. And for anyone, there's a maximum amount of protein that we can absorb but that amount goes down the older we get. And older adults, if we were just to lump all older adults together and say everyone over the age of 65, approximately the maximum amount of protein that we can absorb at any one bolus, which means any one meal is about 30 grams. Now, the recommendation should be about 90 grams throughout the day, and that makes sense. We could do 30 grams in the morning for breakfast, 30 grams at lunch, and then 30 grams at dinner. The problem is our typical uh, American diet is low protein, high carb in the morning. We have a few more grams of protein at lunch, but still yet we're not reaching that 30 grams. And then we have a big bolus of protein typically in the evening. So maybe 65 or 70 grams of protein in the evening. So even though you're consuming that 90 grams a day, It's not getting where it's supposed to get because we just can't absorb all of that protein and put it to use in protein synthesis in order to maintain our muscle mass. So talking about not only the quantity of protein, the quality of protein is important as well, but also breaking those boluses down into smaller, more manageable buckets, if you will, and spreading those out throughout the day is really, really important for an older adult.
0: Yeah. And I think too, it's important to acknowledge that as we get older, we tend to eat less. And so spreading that protein intake out throughout the day is really important. I want to talk about other issues regarding getting older. And one of them has to do with osteoporosis. And one of your research studies looked at exercise as a treatment for both sarcopenia and osteoporosis. Tell me what you did in that study and what you found.
1: Well, I think if this is the study that I'm thinking about, it was early in my career and I developed a um, high velocity resistance training program for older adults. And I was really looking at twofold. Uh, early in my career during my dissertation, I focused all of my work on osteoporosis and, and how bone mass changed for women specifically throughout the menstrual cycle through premenopause, menopause menopause, and then postmenopause. I found out very quickly that it was very difficult to change bone mass in folks that were over the age of 50 without pharmacological intervention, but I still had an intervention. And I I noticed at the end of my dissertation that it was true. I I couldn't change bone mass, but I did change muscle mass quite drastically. And and you've talked about sarcopenia, but I don't know if if we have defined that, but sarcopenia is just defined as age-related loss of muscle mass. And again, there there are myriad of reasons that that happens, but going back to that particular study, I learned that, yes, osteoporosis was hard to change that trajectory, but I could increase and pretty significantly increase muscle mass among older adults through high velocity resistance training. And those are fancy term for saying weight training, but fast. High velocity just means speed, right? Faster speed. And then resistance training is just lifting weights. And I noticed that not only could I improve muscle mass during that study, but I could also improve what I call functional fitness. And we can measure functional fitness a couple of different ways. How someone walks down a hallway, how quickly it's called gait speed, how quickly they can move, how quickly they can get up and down out of a chair. There's some other measures like the timed up and go hand grip assessment, and also some muscular strength assessments that I did. All of those things went up and it was interesting that muscle mass was sort of driving some of those changes in physical function which I thought was fascinating that we could both improve physical function and improve muscle mass at the same time even though bone mass didn't change so part of a, that project was failure I sought out to do something that that I didn't or couldn't do but the other part of that project was a success that we could we could actually change that trajectory of sarcopenia so if you have a conversation with your physician and they say look you lost muscle mass and most people won't have that conversation with their physician because they're not measuring muscle mass. But if you notice in your life that it's harder to lift the five pound bag of sugar on the top shelf than it was five years ago or 10 years ago, et cetera, it's probably because of a decrease in muscle strength and maybe a decrease in muscle mass. And we can change those things pretty rapidly with an exercise training program.
0: Yeah. I love this interview because it is so hopeful, Dr. Gray. We need to take a break. I need to remind our listeners that if you're just joining us, you're tuned into Food Sleuth Radio. We are speaking today with Dr. Michelle Gray. She serves as the head of the Department of Health, Human Performance and Recreation, and she is a professor of exercise science at the University of Arkansas in Fayetteville. She also directs the Office of for Studies on Aging. And I have to tell you, Dr. Gray, I have reviewed many of the subjects that you researched, in your research program over the years, and they are fascinating. And the reason why I focused on sarcopenia and osteoporosis is because there is a great fear of falling as we get older. And in one of your interviews, you had mentioned how simply by being stronger, irregardless of having an osteoporosis diagnosis, simply by having more muscle mass and being fitter and stronger, That alone can help prevent falls.
1: Absolutely. Not only can... Well, yes, it, it prevents falls. What it doesn't prevent is tripping. And, and I want to make a, a distinction between the two. I frequently walk down the hallway, there's nothing in my path, and then I catch my foot for one reason or another, and I trip, but I don't fall. And I don't fall for two reasons, because I'm fast enough to get my foot in front of me, and I'm strong enough to hold up my body weight. And that that is really important when we're talking about older adults and physical function, because I not only want to focus on muscle mass, because muscle mass is driving muscular strength, but I want to talk about muscular power just a little bit. And muscular power, it combines strength and speed. And I've done, well, I've built my career around muscular power among older adults, really. And we can improve muscular power through that high velocity resistance training program that I was talking about just a second ago. And muscular power it is highly correlated with muscle strength. It's highly correlated with physical independence, which I know is very important. And it's highly correlated with the ability to perform activities of daily living. So, and fear of falling will probably always exist. I want to be completely clear. We know that folks even if they have not experienced a fall themselves, but if their best friend has fallen and God forbid they have broken a hip, right? Or maybe they passed away from complications of the fall. There's an inherent increased risk of falling for that older adult. But it doesn't mean that you can't retrain yourself to go out and do the activities that you want to through either exercise training or practice. We can practice different terrains. Right. Walking down the hallway with nothing in the way is different than walking on a trail with roots and rocks and leaves this time of year, et cetera. But we can retrain ourselves to decrease that fear of falling. But even if the fear of falling still exists, it doesn't mean that we're going to fall through physical activity and exercise and some resistance training or power training. We can help prevent some of those falls from
0: happening. Mm hmm critically important. I want to talk to you about the high velocity resistance training. What does that look like?
1: It looks like any other resistance training program that you've been in, to be completely honest. So again, I I developed a high-velocity resistance training program when I was a doctoral student, and I failed. I failed to improve bone mass, but I did see significant improvements in muscle mass and the muscle function as a result of that. And it looks pretty simple. So if you were to do a chest press, and, and hopefully most people know what that looks like, when you sit down to do the chest press, you're lifting a weight away from your chest, right? And it really strengthens the triceps, the back of the upper arm, and then the chest muscles or the pectoralis muscles. And most of the time we say, okay, we want you to sit down and put your hands here and I'm gonna adjust the weight, et cetera. And I want you to push away from your body at a rate of two seconds. So one one thousand, 1,000 out. And then when you come back, one one thousand, 1,000 on the way back. And that is very important to decrease risk of injury. But I decided that that wasn't very functional because I don't do any activities that are slow and controlled like that in my house. Even putting away the groceries is not at a one, 1,000, two, 1,000. Picking up the cooler off of the ground to move it from one side of the garage to the other is not in a slow and controlled movement like that. So it wasn't very functional. And so my high velocity resistance training program it is the chest press so i'm going to do similar type activities i think improving strength and power of the chest and the triceps very very important for activities of daily living But instead of slow and controlled, we're going to push it out as quickly as we possibly can. So we're going to explode that movement away from our bodies. But on the way back, we're going to do that slow and controlled at a 1-1000, 2-1000. That part is very, very important because we don't want to throw weight around. We want to explode on the way out, but slowly bring it back to decrease our risk of injury. And I've been able to do that now With several different groups of individuals in a couple of different states now, with very, very low injury rates, I think no one has had a long-term injury as a result of the resistance training programs that I've put them through. But also another example, um, standing up from a chair, right? You're seated in a seated position, cross your arms over your chest and explode all the way up, stand up as quickly as you can, and then sit down nice and controlled.
0: That is great advice. Okay. So not everybody has the luxury or access or privilege to get to a gym. And for a lot of people, gym memberships might not be affordable. Mm -hmm. Are there activities that we can do in the home that would get us the strength back that we've lost and reduce our risk for falling, but we don't have to be dependent upon getting ourselves to a physical gym?
1: Absolutely. I will say that there's a great program. It's a national program called Silver Sneakers. I would encourage people, if it's a financial reason, not not a location reason, not a transportation reason, but if it's a financial issue, look into the Silver Sneakers program and you can actually, you can go to the gym for free. It is a very... Great program that I think is very underutilized. But the answer is yes. There are other folks that that can't. They don't have a car, don't have transportation, or it's just too far away. There's not a gym everywhere. There's not a gym on every corner, especially if you're in rural Missouri or rural USA. So there are things that you can do. I think the most functional thing that we can do is that chair stand task that I was just talking about. Sit down in a chair. Make sure the chair is against an immovable object like a wall right? We want you to sit down, but we don't want you to fall over in the chair. But to stand up as quickly as you can, that is one of the most functional activities that you can do. We don't want to forget the upper body, though. There are types of activities that you can do in the home, like standing close to a wall and then pushing away from the wall so it looks like a wall push-up, for example. And there are also bands, resistance tubes. There are dumbbells that you can purchase at your local athletic store that aren't very expensive. And you can do tons of activities in your home with just a few dollars worth of equipment. I'm not a proponent of using cans of chicken soup, for example. (laughs) I know that that's probably been touted among individuals for a long time. Most older adults are stronger than that. We we can't start with a, a can of chicken soup. We need to go to something a little heavier. The one and two pound weights are just not enough. They may be fine in rehab, but they're not enough to overload those muscles. So we actually gain muscular
0: strength and muscular power. And how many reps do you recommend? I recommend about
1: three sets of 10 repetitions. It depends on the activity. It depends on how long you've been doing it. So if if folks are listening and they've been doing three sets of 10 repetitions for a long time, maybe it's time to go to 12, but starting at at a three by 10 is reasonable. And when I say three sets, I'm saying if we're doing biceps curls, for example, a set would be, we do 10 of those, right? That would be one set of 10. 10. We take a break, about 60 seconds, and then we do that again. And that would be set number two, so forth and so on. But I do recommend about three sets of 10 to start. And there are other folks that recommend three sets of eight. It really depends on what you're doing and the reason that you're doing this type of exercise. But to get started, three sets of 10 is a great jumping off point.
0: But that's great to know because people always want to know, well, how much can I do or should I do to reach the stronger individual that we all hope to be. I also know that you have researched keeping muscles strong in relation to cognitive ability. Do you want to talk about that at all?
1: I do. That's my newest work that I have done. And we just finished a two-year intervention here in the Northwest Arkansas area where we intervened with 100 participants. We had another 100 participants that had no intervention. And we saw that there are significant relationships between both muscular strength and muscular power and cognitive ability, and these were folks that did not have cognitive decline. I want to be very, very clear. It was a group of individuals between the ages of 45 and 75. They had to be at risk, meaning they have risk factors for Alzheimer's disease, but they could not have mild cognitive impairment, and they could not have any form of diagnosed or probable dementia. So these were the healthiest of the healthy 45 to 75-year-olds, and we we brought them in, we looked at all sorts of things, many of the physical function tests, we looked at at a walking test that, that walking speed, which I said was very important. We looked at muscular strength, we looked at muscle mass with the DEXA scan, and then we looked at cognitive abilities as well and several different cognitive paradigms. And I did note that with an increase in physical function, there was also an increase in cognitive function. I also noted that with an increase in muscular power, so how quickly they could move themselves, so they would stand up from a seated position as quickly as they could. I noted that also had a a positive correlation with cognitive ability. We don't quite know why. That really wasn't the impetus of this particular project, but hopefully in a couple more years, I'll be able to answer that question as well.
0: This is fascinating research. I'm so glad that you are communicating this with our listeners. I know that we are nearing the end of our time together, but I want to give you a chance to leave our listeners with anything that I might not have brought forth.
1: I think you did a really good job, Melinda. I really appreciate all all of the thoughtful questions, and it really sounds like you did a good job researching me. But the biggest message and my final words to listeners is just to keep moving. It doesn't matter if I recommend you go to a gym, keeping active and remaining active is the most important thing that you can do. And it doesn't matter what it is. It doesn't matter if it's gardening. It doesn't matter if it's jogging or walking through the neighborhood, resistance training. While that is very important for falls, to remain physically functional and functionally independent for the rest of your life both cognitively and physically, it is really, really important that you just keep moving.
0: Yeah, that is wonderful advice. We have another minute. And so I'm going to try to get in one more question. And that has to do with some research that I saw that you did on walking speed. And was the conclusion that it's more important to walk faster than it is to have a longer duration?
1: Oh, that's a trick question, Melinda. It is very important that we walk faster, especially beyond the age of 65. I would say for our listeners that maybe have a risk of cardiovascular disease, that walking a long duration is important. But being able to walk quickly at your usual pace is very, very important. So keep moving quickly. I should have said that as well.
0: That's great. All right. We have to close. And first of all, I just want to thank our listeners for joining us. Remind everyone that Food Sleuth Radio is produced by Dan Hemelgarn for KOPN in Columbia, Missouri but I want to thank Dr. Michelle Gray, especially. She serves as the head of the Department of Health, Human Performance, and Recreation. She's a professor of exercise science at the University of Arkansas in Fayetteville, and she also directs the Office for Studies on Aging. And I will provide a link to exercisescience.uark.edu for people who want to learn more. I think that your research, Dr. Gray, has such great potential for truly improving the quality of people's lives. And I always hear so many people not want to get older, but I think what we don't like about getting older is that we lose the function and our cognitive ability. And I think you're on top of the research showing that we can age well. So thank you for that.
1: Thank you. I appreciate it.